Hello, my fellow Brappentonians, and welcome to Brap Talk. This is a weekly podcast where we discuss the happenings of the motorcycle industry. I am your host, Jensen Beeler of Asphalt and Rubber, and joining me on this two-wheeled adventure is the Archbishop of Adventure Biking, Mr. Shaheen Avandi! I like it. Um, did you know my milkshake brings all the boys to the yard? <laughs> it does. And uh, Look at you sipping on your little I got chocolate <laughs> malt there. You know, I always thought 15 or 16 ounces was more than it is. It's not. <laughs> so so this is going to be a tough show. Let's just get that straight <laughs> at the open. This is going to be a real tough show. <laughs> Sheen comes over to my house. We're going to record. It's like the middle of the day. It's like a nooner. <laughs> nooner. I got your nooner. Our nooner is wrong. Like, we do a wrong we nooner. We do a wrong oh. And it's, uh, we're like, oh, I'm really hungry. We want to go food. Let's go get food. So we go get sushi or way too much food. Way too much food. Don't order sushi. Actually, you shouldn't order any food when you're that hungry. No. It's I'll like, have this, that, this, and the other. <laughs> the lady's like, anything else? She's like, really? You want the left-hand side of the menu, huh? I didn't catch the sarcasm because yeah. she was super dry about it. And then it was like, oh, I see. You're being funny. <sighs> so to combat our food comas, I've got myself a delicious Mountain Dew. You went out and got a chocolate milkshake. You said I want caffeine, and to me, chocolate has caffeine, and so chocolate malt. I mean, not like probably not. It's got a little. It's you know, it's got a little. But then, then you get the so we have this like big debate on a sippy cup on how much milkshake this this one place gives you, and because I was like, ah, they don't give you a lot of milkshake. She's you said, like, you said they give you eight ounces, which I did. looking I said, at it I looks like eight, eight ounces. ounces. It looks like eight ounces because it's a six dollar milkshake. And as one of my favorite movies, Pulp Fiction would say about a five dollar milkshake, better be a fucking good milkshake. Right. And so you're, you're going, you're like, well, how big is your milkshake? And the lady's like 16 ounces. And she shows you this little itty bitty cup. And I'm like, there's a look on your face. You're like, oh, there's no way. Ounces. There's just no way that's 16 ounces. <laughs> So we had to have uh, we had to have the big measuring of uh, of the. We cup. brought it home. I dumped my milkshake out into a glassware. It's worth getting something dirty to measure it with the actual measuring cup of sixteen ounces, and they lied. It, it was it was a small lie, but it, it was still yeah. It was like fifteen and like change, fifteen ounces. and a half. So like I don't I don't get upset. Like you still like oh it's like sixteen ounces. She was right. It's like sixteen ounces, not actually sixteen right. ounces, but it was like it. She did say it's like sixteen ounces, but it's not. But I thought for sure that was like. Eight ounces. <laughs> you're like, like you're gonna pay a dollar like, an ounce, dude. There's no way. So I I was wrong. I am so not good at measuring. It's volumes. a good milkshake. I just don't know if it's the proper answer for it. I need some energy. Yeah, I mean that's just like we're gonna have to t- we're, we're gonna have to stop the show midway through and take a nap. It's as simple this as couch that. Couch is super comfy. Just like that. Want to be a big spoon a, or a little spoon? That couch is a black hole. Years of your life get lost because you just curl up in that thing. You didn't answer my question. It's nine feet long. You still didn't answer my question. I'm trying to avoid the question. Listeners are curious. I just watched uh, <laughs> so Fifth Elements on Netflix. So for for those that don't know, when I when I do asphalt and rubber stuff, I usually have something on the TV playing in the background, yeah, just, just for background, background noise. noise. But it has to be something that I've seen before, because otherwise I watch it. Yeah, I have legitimately seen the Fifth Element a thousand times. Same here. I I can quote the whole damn thing. So, um, so that's been that's been the it's on Netflix again. So I've been watching I've been watching that. And it's just like Ruby was like, I want one position. I want all positions. All the positions. <laughs> so that immediately came in my head and you're like little spin. I'm like, no, I don't want one position. I want all positions. <laughs> wow. So big spoon or little spoon? 
Oh, we are like five minutes in and we oh, haven't talked about motorcycles. This is the problem with journalism nowadays. They just don't answer the questions. <laughs> fake news. It's all fake. fake news. The dishonest asphalt and rubber. <laughs> all right. All the positions on this couch, this black hole of a couch. I just had to clean it too. I got smudges on it last night from taking my bike apart. What you so you came over? <laughs> I did. And, and caught me red-handed once again taking my Kramer apart. Man, <laughs> you like it just looked like you'd set a tiny C4 charge in that thing, just went <laughs> everywhere. It just really spiraled out of control. Like I don't know what happened. I was just so we'll get we'll get to my woes of racing. Can I tell you what Ann said when we left? <laughs> Please. She said, "Do you think he's going to be okay in there?" <laughs> That is legit because there was a lot of gas fumes and I was feeling <laughs> was. a little dizzy. She was like, it's my favorite smell is rubber and fuel. I'm like, yeah, but in a real garage. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a reason that garage door was open. Oh, my goodness. My wife was concerned for you. Shit. <sighs> Man, she should be. You look like you were deep and like you were concentrating really hard. I was a little on the struggle bus. I I, I took a break and came back and rallied hard. Um We'll get to the reason why in a second, but yeah, I, I had to, I had to take the, I have to replace the fuel filter because we think that's a problem to do that though. You got to take the whole fuel pump assembly out because the fuel filter is like buried into the fuel pump, which is a silly design and that you really can't do without moving the swing arm. And I can't move the swing arm until I take the rear shock off. I can't take the rear shock off until I take like, well, I mean, you can take the rear shock off pretty easily, but it's easier to just take the tail section off. And I kind of had to do that anyways to get to the fuel pump. Right. So it just ended up like there were all kinds of things I had to do anyways. I was going to replace the spring on the rear shock to, to finally get it sprung for my weight. So I was like, I'm fine. Like having that kind of cascade. I'm of glad that events. our black holes, the rabbit holes that we go into happen in life. Yeah. It's not just here on this couch, but like you have to understand, <laughs> like I went in there going like, mm, this is going to take me like a couple hours. The bike's still apart. Like 24 hours later, that bike is still apart. I noticed your car's still on the street. I mean, to be fair, I I got the fuel pump back together last night. I just kind of, I did that in the kitchen, actually. Nice. And uh, I spent a lot of time on that spring. I need a, I don't have an actual spring compressor. So I was doing it like the super makeshift way. I had a vice and zip ties and I was legitimately like. There's a handcuff involved, I think. Yeah, 50-50, this thing fucking hits me in the face, and that's <laughs> just a bad day. Like, this is just not the way you're supposed to do it. All I get out of that is that you did that in the kitchen. Yeah? Yeah. Better light. Ladies and or gentlemen that are listening, just so you know, he's now single, and hey, he's know, got a kitchen that's beautiful, that, and he's fucking doing I motorcycle that, I work that at designer it. kitchen thing. <laughs> you can tell... You can tell who designed my house. Like, this is a total Portland house. Total Portland oh, yeah. house. Absolutely. Because it's got, like, the gourmet kitchen. You know, it's got, like, all the, the Viking range, granite granite countertops, stainless steel appliance, got the hood, the burn, the deep well sink. I don't know why I'm doing a voice. I like it. This don't know why I'm doing a voice. Pitch. That was, like, my Portland designer guy. So they spent, like, all this time. <laughs> like, it's like a really nice kitchen, which is hilarious because I'm just a miserable, miserable cook, and I don't cook very often. And then you go down to the garage. There's one electrical outlet. And then yeah. entire garage, yeah. there's one electrical outlet, horrible lighting, and it's a two-car garage. How often do you trip that thing? Never have. Really? Yeah. I'm impressed. Because they're just, yeah, I don't know why. I don't, I don't plug anything in down there. It's just battery tenders, basically. But I would I would like to. Yeah. In theory, can't. I would like to. <laughs> um, but then, like, the two-car garage is, like, a foot 
maybe two feet not wide enough to actually put two cars in yeah like my neighbors do it and i watch them do the austin powers 12 That's, point turn do thing they drive do, smaller vehicles though because you've got a big car i got a big car but it, it works out well for me because i got the one car i can put my trailer in there and then i can there's there's a whole side for bikes basically like 15 motorcycles you can put nine bikes in there if you have to nine Nine. nine i mean not with that gold wing in there no that's, that's three like bikes that's three bikes in itself yeah but what do i got like five six bikes in there now i don't know i noticed the certain other bike came back yeah you brought well you brought back the street fighter well no not that like begrudgingly too by the way let's just talk about how yeah. empty my garage feels right now yeah I'm sorry. there's a there's a tiny red hole missing there's just like a <laughs> it's just a sad spot i was missing street fighter i gotta go for a ride on it you ought to i've been missing full her. gas i put some high octane in there for Ooh, you thank you oh thank oh, you thank you so well, and I got some horrible race feel I can put in it. I tell you what, I filled I filled it up yesterday at the local Chevron station by my house. Mm, and Tecron. This is this is this is Oregon, so they like to fill up your gas for you. They're so funny about that though. They don't they don't it's it's hit or miss on the motorcycle side. They usually are like, Well, let us do the credit card thing and then you can put your hand between your Like legs. I've never seen how to swipe a credit card before. I have it's hard. <laughs> what I like though is when they hover. They, like, do. Like, like, they like, just watch you. They're like, Are you sure you've not But have you noticed if you're on a motorcycle when they hover, they have a paper towel in their hand just wait ready to like dive just in case you yeah. spill i do like when they when they hand you the paper towel when they hand you the pumps it's like hey here's your yeah. here's your courtesy wipe i appreciate it that's it's like going to like a good ribs place and they give you like the little towelette afterwards so this guy i've filled up there probably i don't know a hundred times in the last year and he barely says a word to me hello thank you have a nice day mm -hmm. yesterday i pull up in the ducati dude dude came running and just stops in front of me and goes, you know, I always say that people buy all the wrong motorcycles until I see a goddamn Ducati. That is the right motorcycle. I was like, wait, you have a voice? You talk? <laughs> Apparently, uh, the the bright red Street Fighter just made the man excited and he had a lot to say about it. It's the clickety-clack of that it, it dry is the clutch and, and the, that exhaust is so blown out. It's like tuned perfectly. <laughs> I feel so bad when I come home I have to on put it. my earplugs all the way in. I still yeah, hear it. You have to wear your with crystal bike. clear. Like I listen, I I have the the Cardo system on my helmet, so we have conversations all the time, phone and whatever, and a bunch of us together ride together. I can't do it on that bike. I mean, I can talk, but it's like I have to make sure I'm not on the gas. <laughs> Maybe just idling, <laughs> coasting. Yeah, yeah. I love that bike. I love that bike so much. My neighbor just had a uh, their first kid. And now I feel really bad. I'm like, I don't think I can ride this motorcycle. <laughs> Turn it up, get night. enough speed. Yeah, a little push it down the driveway, <laughs> and then like, yeah, get down the block a little bit, and then fire up because I could hear you coming. Oh, I'm sure. I was like, oh, Shaheen's coming. He'll be here in about five minutes. <laughs> I was like a mile away still. <laughs> I just like you know deselling on that thing. It's just such a beautiful deep mm -hmm. rumble. It's mm -hmm. not crackly. It's not annoying. It's just mm -hmm. it's like soul stirring. It's that's what to me old Ducati should sound like just a lot of clacking and deep rumble and visceral super visceral that's a cool bike I mean it, it there's definitely some this is this is a good tie-in because I want to talk about the, the the v4 version that's coming out but when the 1098 came out like that motor like for me 150 horsepower is like how much power I want on the street yeah like that's a good amount of power that you're gonna get yourself in trouble especially with that tiny little wheelbase yeah, and like anything over that is just, I don't know, you're kind of just like, what's the point? Don't get me wrong, like, I love a good KTM, Aprilia, whatever. Right. But like, you got to have like, like 150 is like, like I would say it's a diminishing return. Let's put it that way. <laughs> but it, it's it's still kind of old school. There's no traction control. There's no ABS. 
There's no ride by wire, so it's a very direct oh, throttle. Yeah. It's a very direct brake it's like application. The last of the analog bikes. Yeah, it's kind of which is scary with that much power. Like, like there's when I take it out to the track days because I usually when I control ride, I usually control it on the Street Fighter because I can just do that all day long. Yeah, it's fast enough. That I'm gonna catch any Skippy on a on a leader bike because they don't know how to ride. You old Skippy peanut butter people, I, and I can I can squirrel up next to them, but it's comfortable enough that like I can ride all day on the track and not get too tired. Whereas if I was out on like my R1, I'd just be like exhausted. <laughs> Somebody take this thing. Um, but yeah, it's, but I do think about that when I'm on the track where I'm like, man, like this is just like one good throttle whack away from sending me to the moon. Like, yeah. but it's, oh, you got, you, you know what though? It, it makes you a better writer. I think if, if you respect it and understand its limits, you, you tend to be a smoother writer. Well, you should be, you, you have to be smoother. Become. Otherwise you're going to end up on your ass. It, the thing that's hard about having a bike with no electronics is you can't really explore the limit as well. No. Because on a bike with traction control, on a bike with uh, cornering ABS, you can you can do the same thing. We're like, okay, I'm going to just start feeding more throttle each time. Each more, okay, oh, now it's sliding. Now it's sliding. Now it's really sliding. Now right. the traction control is kicking in. Like, okay, that's the limit. You can explore it. And you can find it on your own with a safety net. It's the same thing with uh, the corner ABS. Like, okay, I'm going to carry the brake a little bit deeper into the turn, a little bit deeper, trail brake a little bit harder, a little mm-hmm. bit harder. Oh, that's that's where that's kind of starting to tuck and starting to lock. That's the limit. Can't do that on the Street Fighter. Nope. It's like, oh, you're exploring the limit. Boom, oh, you're on the my 999 is the same way. Yeah. Because that little beast has yeah. got 140 something horses to the yeah. rear wheel, and it's like, oh, you want to fuck around? Yeah. Oh, you're, oh, my tires are shitty? Let me show you the grass. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> Yeah, it's funny to do that. I mean, so I had a similar had a similar instance in a story that I'll say uh, later about the bold bold organ uh, race that I did. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's Street Fighters. It's a cool bike. It's um, the chassis is a little wrong. It's a little too raked out. You kind of have to play around with it a lot to get the front end feel right. And that's actually one of the things I really want to do this year because I've just been complaining about it for too long. Yeah, is really kind of work on either bringing up the forks i've already jacked up the rear too high i might throw like a one of the taller tires on it because i've been running 190 55s i believe you go to 60 you think i might try a, a 255 or a 260 wow and see if That'll that fit? gets the right yeah it should huh. uh, see if that gets the ride height to where it needs to be uh or i should say the rear the rear ride height Otherwise, like maybe dropping the forks a little bit or looking at a, like a steering uh, an offset for the triple clamps to get the steering head angle um right for the for the rake but that's that problem is like that front end they there's like this really like narrow window of having like a bike that handles really well right and having a bike that's prone to a tank slapper (laughs) and when you take a super bike and bring it into like a street fighter application you're moving you don't realize it but you're moving a lot of weight back Mm -hmm. onto the the chassis so you don't load the front as much which makes like then that makes that window really really narrow. What Ducati ended up doing with the 1098, they saw that and they're just like, uh, let's just rake it out. Let's because we're we're bringing too much weight off the front. Let's just rake it out to compensate. And they didn't do that with the 848. And the 848 chassis is the better chassis. That's why like, I actually prefer the Street Fighter 848 really? or the 1098, just because the chassis is so much better. 130 horsepower on the 848, and you're like, oh, I don't really miss. I don't really miss it. Right. Interesting bike. Interesting bike. So now 
Mm-hmm. Finally. Let's talk about what's next. Finally, Ducati's come off a of Street Fighter V4. Ugh. I've been talking to Ducati about a Street Fighter for five years or so. And there was some there was some talk like they they talked about doing it with the uh, 1199 1299 platform right and they didn't think the market was really there. There's some technical things. And now like they're finally doing it with the V4 and we just saw it uh, right before the last episode dropped. Actually, um, the prototype right on the out. 13th. They, they released it. To yeah. The public. So the bike that Carlin Dunn will be racing. My understanding that's pretty close to production. I think the headlight is going to be very different. Yeah. I don't, I, mean, I don't, this one's just a cowling. I think. Yeah. It, it just looked, it looked actually like the 1098 head. Yeah. But same, I think, uh, same angle. Sort of. Yeah, a little bit more swoopy, but I believe the production one is going to be more like the Panigale V4. It'll be kind of so. Imagine the Panigale V4 headlight and intake, and if Ducati did exactly what Aprilia did with the Tuono. Yeah, just kind of narrowed that, it out that a little same, bit. Like it's like kind of like its own little cowling. It's almost like a bikini cowling. Right. I think that's what we can expect to see. So this one's an R bike, though, right? The one that Dunn's racing. No, no, no. It's, it's a, a. It's an S model. Well, the one that I mean. What Dunn's racing is just what it's a prototype, right? There's the Street Fighter V4 will be an 1100 cc motorcycle, right? Right, right. But the one that Dunn's racing, what did I think? It's a R bike that they just kind of there was some talk that it was just an R bike with the fairings taken off and a handlebar. My understanding is it's the, it's the S motor that he's he, they're working off the S platform, All right? So they're going to 1100, so it's 1100, uh, 1103 uh, cc's. What will be a base, an S, and maybe a Pikes Peak version. I wouldn't be shocked if they did a Pikes Peak I version. I think there's going to be a Pikes Peak version for sure. Especially if it has that paint job on it. That's kind of cool. paint job, and it's got the winglets. Yeah, talk, let's talk about those winglets. Okay. How do you feel about winglets on a Street Fighter? I don't know. Because I think it's redundant. I, I think, think it's super I, redundant. I think it's like one of those things like, no, I actually want the bike to wheelie. That's yeah. why I bought a Street Fighter. Yeah, like it's, it's not, I mean, maybe for race purposes, oh, but... I want the front wheel to be optional. Yeah. Front wheel is like kind of working. I want to go through three rear tires before I change that front one. Yeah. But that's a street fighter. I, I know it's silly, but. I mean, I like it because it's kind of cool. I mean, obviously, I get it for the race application for, for what Carlin's doing. But, like, you got to believe it's going to end up on, like, the S model or the Pikes Peak model or I wouldn't whatever. be shocked if they put it on the Pikes Peak model. But it's I'm like, not sure, like, if I would want that. I mean, unless, unless wings go the other way where it makes it easier to wheelie. <laughs> wheelie wings. Yeah. I, <laughs> you, you create enough thrust that'll actually lift the front front end off. Yeah. I don't, I don't <laughs> have to like, you know, compress the forks or whack the throttle. I just want to hit my wings, man. I'm going <laughs> to hit the flaps. He's going to fly right past. That's amazing. Uh, so it looks, it looks interesting. It looks good. I'll be curious to see what it looks like when it's production. Yeah. I'd be very curious to see what they do with this exhaust because right now they're still doing that Panigale exhaust. Yeah, on they're it. doing the Panigale Akrapovich. Uh, Which makes sense because that's turnkey and yep. they know that's going to make like 230 horsepower. Or whatever so that's it is. the question I was going to ask. Do you think they're going to modify the sort of like the output for mid range street riding purposes? Absolutely. So what do you think it's going to make? Uh, I think it's going to make more than anything else on the market. <laughs> we think it's going to be 200 horsepower bike. No, I don't think so. Really? I don't think so. Because, I mean, the, the V4S is 226? Yeah, Ish. 223. Okay. Um, What does the... what are the, If they made this like a 200 I think it's going to be like 190, 180-ish. Mm, that's a fuck ton of everything. I could see them being like 10 horsepower more. But that torque curve is going to be huge. Oh, God. It's I don't gonna, think it's going to be peaky be at all. so juicy. Like, so what is it? It's like... The Aprilia makes 175 at 11,000 RPMs. I think the Kai's make like 180 at 
8,000 RPMs or something <laughs> stupid like that, which would be pretty cool. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Verdict is out. So we're thinking spring of 2020? Yes. That is my understanding. So well, it'll be like one of the big unveilings at ICMA. Yeah. Um, and my then, wife is already preparing herself for the idea of that bike being in the garage. It's a lot of. It's gonna be a lot of coin. I, I know. I just don't know how that doesn't become a twenty thousand dollar bike. It's gonna be. It's you and I both know it's gonna be. Hmm. If hmm. they can somehow make it under twenty, watch Ducati's gonna be like it's under twenty. It's nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine. Actually, Ducati never is nine in the end. It's always five. So nineteen ninety five. I don't know. I don't know, man. But I'm excited to see it. I'm excited to see how Carlin does on it. I think uh, there's a really good chance that the weather is cooperating and and everything goes well. He's looking to break some records, isn't he? He's breaking some records. Ernie Skaysbrook is there on his Tuono. That thing's looking really sharp. I got to ride it. That thing's a beast. Oh, you got to ride that. Well, I saw it when they released it unpainted at Coda. Yes. When so I rode it, it after that. Nice. Uh, he came up to the ridge, and I got like half a session. I got red flagged. It was just for, for jollies. I wasn't really getting getting on it. I wasn't really able to go. Good-looking paint job and gold wheels. Did you see they put gold yeah, wheels on there? Yeah. Somebody had a pre sent me a text like, here, we're thinking of you. Gold wheels. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so it looks like an RSV4, basically. And I don't know if that's going to be race legal or what they're going to do. But um, I mean, it's got it's got handlebars. It's got a handlebar. I think they might have to change. I mean, they might have to change the fairings hmm. just to get. Pikes Peak's weird, man. Don't get me started. Don't. D- stop saying anything. They're going to just ban you for life. I've already been banned for life, I'm sure. So I'm on a list somewhere. <laughs> Those guys, those guys, you people. Uh, Michael Dunlap coming out. I, I think that's going to be an interesting, interesting race to watch. I He's going to do a BMW, right? Yeah, and I still haven't figured out if I'm going or not. I should probably figure that out. I feel like you should go. I don't know. I got, I got lots of thoughts and opinions on, on doing that. Ducati wanted everybody to ride there. You know that whole um, all roads lead to yeah. Pikes Peak thing. And I was just like, I don't want to be on a motorcycle for three days. See, this is where we're very different. You're a sport bike guy. You want to like point and shoot and kill, and I want to be like. It's all about the journey. My thing with motorcycles is is I really don't want it to take more than a weekend. And ideally, I don't really want it to take more than a day. And in a really good world, it's like <laughs> half a day. Like you want to be home by dinner. Yeah. Like it I just, want to be home by dinner next week to do. or two weeks from now. I mean, truthfully, truthfully, you want to know like part of the real reason? Like doing asphalt rubber is a 24-7 job. Yeah. Like I can't take three days off. I just can't. I can barely, And even if you do, you have to make sure you have your computer off. with you and you have, you know, I lose Connection. my mind. Yep. I'm not a pleasant person to be around. You're right. If I've got stories to do, I'm not pleasant. No. <laughs> Your mind's somewhere else, man. That's that's like like legitimate thing. Like when I when I finish this chapter of my life, like I'm taking three months off. Nice. I'm gonna go like deserted island, no computer, no phone. Like you guys are gonna get coordinates of where I'm gonna be. For like the next three months, and you're more than so welcome we can to like join. Send food and just airdrop it to your. Yeah, something? You're just you're more than welcome to join. <laughs> it's just I'm not going to have any way of communicating. So here's my itinerary. Show up if you want. Just smoke signals. See if anybody yeah. catches them. And I'll be back in like three months. I'll have a wicked tan, <laughs> and uh, you know, then we'll go on and figure out what the next thing is. I'm such a social animal. I can't even think about the thing you're talking. Like I'm getting anxiety thinking about being alone on an island for more than a day. Oh, I could totally do it. Ugh. You and my wife. You know when people do like that desert island thing? Like, well, what three movies would you bring? I'm like, nothing. Nothing. I would bring nothing. <laughs> Just I'd bring a pocket knife. <laughs> and me maybe, and my Leatherman. And maybe a change of underwear, but probably Why? You're not. in a desert, desert I'm island. Going, who's gonna, I'm who's gonna, gonna smell your ball sack? Yeah, I'm going naked, man. <laughs> Plus, you're going to take a dip in the water. I don't know. Yeah. Bathing by salt water. Like a freshwater filter is all I need. Give me, we're going to go. See your... Your Danish white skin just catching fire. I tan good though. Do you? Yeah. No, those are you freckles. Should, you should see me when I sail. <laughs> those right. are freckles. I look like I was 
not Scandinavian. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, what do we want to talk about? I wanted to talk about um, this KTM 790 Adventure. Oh, that's right. You were talking about that before the so show. I just I just went on a nice BDR ride with a couple of buddies, and everybody rides big bikes. Um, it's almost like a badge of honor. We all have 1,200cc tanks. Um, and one of the guys who rides an older Multistrada with 17-inch wheels on it wants to move up to something with larger diameter wheels so he can go over the obstacles with a little less... I don't know, drama. So No drama llama. Yeah, so you know, I suggested maybe the 790 Adventure R because then he could lose about 100 pounds and have the 21-inch front wheel and all that fun stuff. But his argument against that bike is that he's worried that it'll be underpowered and underwhelming to ride on the highway at 100-plus miles an hour. To which I kind of chuckled and said, I just want you to go ride it first. What are your thoughts? I mean, that's kind of silly. Um, I mean, we're talking about a bike that still makes 100, well, it makes 95 horsepower. It makes close to 100 horsepower. Um, I remember riding the Duke. I mean, you kind of wish it had more power. It, it makes it up for it with, with gearing. I mean, like, this, there's the torque that comes out of the engine, and then there's the mechanical torque, which is basically just the, the gearing. Right. So, like, you can put a huge-ass sprocket on it, and it'll make great torque at the rear wheel. It's just, you're not going to Yeah, your top, your top gear is going to be... Yeah. Uh, and that's how they get around that problem. So, I mean, I think zero to a hundred, that's a fun bike to ride after that. Yeah. Yeah. You would want more power because then you can have taller gearing and it'll do its thing a little bit better, but I don't know. Do you think the 790 Duke's too small of a bike? Like, I don't think you're so, living no. in a different world than I'm living in. I, I did convince a friend to buy a 790 Duke and he, all of his posts online the last two days have been just all kinds of dreamy fun stuff. That bike's he, rad. He calls it the scalpel. I think it's well. That's what KTM calls it. That's the oh well, that's name. his name for it now. The scalpel. Um, I don't know if scalpel is the word I would use for that bike. A sharp knife. Uh, the scalpel. It's like um. Listen, I think razor? the KTM 790 Duke is the best sport bike out there for the money, like for what it costs, for what you get, for for what it does. Uh, it's hard to beat that bike. It has some deficiencies. The brakes are horrible. Yeah, you're paying the right money for those. Yeah, brakes. you're paying for the right money. Like that's the only thing on there that would be like, oh, I really don't like those brakes. Suspension. If you're not going on the track, suspension's fine. Um, if you want, you can throw in some some adjustable cartridges or something. The tires it comes with for garbage, but you're gonna wear through those pretty quick anyways. So he got he got lucky. He bought one that's like a couple of months old, and somebody bought it and threw some money at it and changed it for better tires and yeah, some kind of a cool looking exhaust and stuff like that. So. He bought somebody else's uh, daily rider, and that somebody else went to a dirt bike. So, I think he ended up saving a couple of grand. Yeah, that's that's rad. Yeah, I, I think the seven ninety Duke or seven ninety the seven ninety Adventure, especially the Adventure R, mm-hmm. that's the sweet spot in the ADB market for me. I'm a little. I don't want, I don't want like a big twelve hundred like you have, Shane, because that's because that's way too heavy. Like, yeah, I, the seven ninety you could actually take on technical yeah. routes. You know, yeah, and if you drop it, you don't have to break your damn back picking it up. Yeah. It's still it's, not dirt bike light, but it's 100 pounds lighter than my bike. It's it's only a little bit heavier than a 690 Enduro, I think. What's the what's the weight on it? Claim curb weight, 417 pounds. That's amazing. Is that right? This might be my next bike. I only have one question of concern about it, and it's those bladders that stick way out and go to the bottom of the bike where the fuel tank sets. Yeah. 
I'm totally fine with that. Are you? How do you think it'll handle a, like a nasty fall in the rocky terrain? I mean, it's the same thing that the, the Dakar bikes have. That's where it came from. Is, is the it? Dakar program. So we think, we think, think it'll be I all think, right? I think the real hardcore dudes are going to put a skid plate in front of it. Yeah, I guess it would have to be like front and a little to the side because it looks yeah. like it kind of protrudes on the sides a little bit. Yeah, but it doesn't stick out any further than like your legs do. Yeah, my, my legs aren't flammable or combustible. I don't know. I'm not that worried about it. No? All right. I guess it's light enough. I mean, that's literally the only thing that sticks out literally and figuratively on the bike that makes me kind of scratch my head a little bit. But I have to imagine there's going to be some kind of a protection for that. I, I really, really like this bike enough that it might be my next adventure bike. Yeah. I definitely want to get one for a rip because I could see that filling a hole in my garage. Mm-hmm. Just because what that's what I need in my garage is another bike. You do. You could fit nine in there. You don't have nine in there right now. That's true. Take the car out, you can fit so many more. Oh, yeah. That's why I don't have a car, Jensen. My garage is a motorcycle haven. It's a temple. It is. It's, it's a temple. Your, it's your church of Brapistan. And it's missing. By the way, I've been reading more on starting yes. the church. So, yeah. that's what I wanted to talk about. This I forgot, is serious. I forgot to put Fuck this everything about Ducati and KTM. Let's Fuck talk about then, this church. Sorry, moving on. Um, so, after our show, I started watching Wild Wild. <laughs> what was it? Wild West. Wild Wild Country. Wild Wild Country. Thank you. And so, like, I'm sitting there watching it, and I'm like, this is a crack up. How much land do you think we're going to need for our church? Mm. Probably not as much as the Rajneeshis. No. I don't know. I think we need more. We're going to have to make several, we need a racetrack. several tracks. That's the thing. We basically need to just take over PIR because it has a racetrack for dirt and road. Yeah. And then and then we need, like, a trail section, and then we need a flat track, and then an underwater section because... Because why not? Why not? We'll, 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 keep, we'll keep investigating this. Yeah. This is important. I, I will tell you this much. We've been getting a lot of very positive input from listeners about it. It's an interesting, interesting time. Uh, speaking of interesting times, I did a little racing uh, recently. This is going to be, oh, I feel like I'm just going to talk the whole show. So, because <laughs> I'm just looking at the bullet points, I'm just like, oh, I did a lot of things. We teased it last time. I did a lot of things. Last you did time. a lot of things. So, I just did the Bulldor. Oh, man, this is so, so hard to say. Bulldorgan. Which is a play on words with the Bull Door, which is a French endurance race, part of the FIM Endurance World Championship. Okay. This is a little less prestigious, but not that less prestigious. Uh, it's an endurance race at the Mack track in McMinnville, uh, the little go kart track we have at the state uh, county fairgrounds, Yamhill County. And it's a six hour endurance race that the Sang uh Riding Club puts on. Mm-hmm. And so I went and spectated, slash, kind of, I wouldn't say I was pit crew, but I did the board. Uh, last year uh, with Quentin. And this year I got invited to come out with a team uh, to race in the vintage class. Okay. Uh, a couple of the SR- SFRC guys, uh, one of which I raced with at, at Omra. And uh, that was my first endurance race. How long is it? It's six hours. And then how many people in the team? Uh, our Racers. team had three, three guys. So essentially two hours each? Uh, two hours each, yeah. We did, our plan was to do one hour stints. And didn't quite work out that way. I think I ended up doing like two and a half hours. Oh. It did got somebody a little, get hurt or worn out? Yeah, I got a little crazy. Um, so I did the first stint. So I got to do the Le Mans start, which is pretty cool. Cool. And I'm so glad that someone got a video of the start because I nearly eat shit. <laughs> it's not easy running in that suit. I, no, because um, there must have been some like oil or it was the grass or something. I slipped on something when they... they you know, drop the flag to go. Uh-huh. I slipped out of the blocks. And I mean, <laughs> I, 
I I don't know how I caught my weight. Big in boys front of falling. Me. Yeah, but like <laughs> it would it would have been really close to me just going straight down. And I just kind of stumble, stumble, get uh, that typical the racer with these excuses. There was gravel. It was something. I slipped on something, something. Yeah, something fell. There was an anti trip me. So that was that was a funny way to get that started. I was like, because I did it. I was like, oh man, everyone just saw that. And then someone got it on video, which is even better. Awesome. So not not embarrassing. In the least. So how'd you guys do? Uh, well, we came in fourth. Out of how many? Uh, four bikes. <laughs> I shouldn't have so, asked that question. It sounded pretty impressive. <laughs> so it's just really disappointing. And and truthfully, I think it's all my fault. What'd you ride? We rode a Kawasaki GPZ 550. Hold on the Mack track? Yeah. That's a lot of bike. It's a, it's a heavy bike. So I don't think the 550 stands for the displacement. I think that's how much it weighs. <laughs> Kilograms. Uh, <laughs> what is it? It's an inline four, I believe. Inline four, four stroke. Yeah, that's a lot of bike. Um, interesting. Most like, like I, I saw it, and I was like, really, we're we're racing this, huh? It's actually pretty good. Oh. Uh, it's five hundred and fifty three cc's, four four cylinder, four stroke, fifty four horsepower rating. This is off the Wikipedia. Article. Yeah, that's what I'm looking at too. What is it? What are they saying? Top the speed one nineteen. I bet you didn't hit that. Four hundred sixty-four pounds wet. That can't be right. That's got to be without tires and yeah. But it's only a three point eight gallon fuel tank, so you know it's not a lot of wet in there. Yeah, it was. <laughs> um, the, actually, the biggest thing I was actually very impressed with that motorcycle because the biggest issue we had, other than it falling down, <laughs> was the brakes. It just it didn't have a lot of brakes, and like that's what really wore. Uh, wore us out was having to really squeeze that brake lever to get some brake single action. caliper disc single, is not good enough disc. for you. Yeah, it's huh. too small. It's, you're just you're just very very uh, spoiled now, man. It's uh, it's tough. Um, but we were we were fast. That bike was fast. We were doing really well. Um, made up some time. Didn't get obviously didn't get the greatest start, but I think we still came out like on the first turn. We were like sixth or seventh, and I was able to pick my way through the field pretty quick. We were running, I think, second. For a long while, okay, and then um, we had a call. We had three ovalis on the track with us. Oh, that and doesn't one of them, seem fair. One of them got the whole shot, and then another one got around me after a few laps, and then the other one got around us after like 10, 20 minutes or something. I think I don't know if they switched riders or what happened, but it took a while for that one to actually. I don't think he did get around us because we were running third for for a long while overall and then i had a crash uh, and the rear just slipped out underneath huh. you know, that's how you're talking about like you know like you don't have any riding control and the rear just kind of goes yep and we're on uh continental tires and uh they just got greasy really quick i don't know what what the deal was there it's a lot of weight to put if, on those tires i feel like they we just, were just asking too much yeah. for the bike or or um or what but whatever it was i mean i've never seen a tire crash on its own so it's all on me and that really fucked us up. Uh, it took us uh, like 45 minutes or so to get back on track. Holy moly. We spent, I think in total out of the six hour race, I think we spent about, an, excuse me, I think we spent about an hour in the pits working on stuff because we had a second crash later so in the day. So what broke when you crashed? The whole handlebar we replaced, the whole oh, wow. handlebar assembly, and then the, the, just a lot of weight the thing that really that messed thing. us up was the foot pegs kept breaking. So we, had to, so we ended up, we went through three handlebars and we welded the frame twice. Who, wait, where'd you guys find two other handlebars? So we brought one extra and <laughs> uh, another team gave us 
uh, the, the the pair that we finished with, and they were like high bar. <laughs> they're they're like they weren't like ape hanger, but they were pretty high sucker. bar. They're like BMX bars. They were pretty high That's up. Awesome. And I was just like, like, wow, all right, pretty comfy, comfy time. <laughs> so that was really disappointing because because to crash out when you're when you're third, and I legitimately think we were the third fastest bike total. Right. Those two Avalis were quicker than us. And uh, we were doing really well in the vintage class and, and doing well against the modern bikes and looking really good until that happened. And I think if you go back and look at the lap times, you know, we were right there. In fact, we didn't crash. We had both our crashes in the first half of the race. And if you go back and you look at the halfway point to the finish, you know, like we're right there. Like we're, we're doing really well. So that's unfortunate. So that one, that one's on me. I don't think I'll be invited back <laughs> with that team. Wait, crash uh, a bike once and you won't be invited yeah. back um but i had a lot of fun it was a lot of fun battling with people it's a really fun event sfrc puts on a good a good show is it a once a year race or is it once a year i think traditionally it's been on father's day and i think they changed it this year so so we could open it up a little bit more um how how, exactly how big is mac track lengthwise you think Uh, i mean if it's a mile i'm surprised probably like three quarters i'm curious how many laps you guys did in six hours let's say you rode for five of those six oh i know how many laps we did Oh, I, got, I got it on my phone. Um, I think the winning team did like 400. Man, talk about getting intimate with a track. Dude, it's a lot of laps. Let me tell you. So much. I mean, I, I know you spend time on that track on your Supermoto. I've done a few. Like, that was a cool thing. Like, uh, I didn't have time to go practice on like the Friday beforehand. And the other guys dialed the bike in and, and did all that. So I just kind of showed up. And I was like, they're like, okay, well, we'll have you go out the whole practice session. And you can do the... The first session, I was like, I went out for like a four laps in the practice session. I was like, okay, cool, yeah, I got it. <laughs> like, I don't need to wear wear myself out because this is this is a track I already know the line on. Where is this stupid thing? So we did three hundred and nine laps. Wow. The winning team did four hundred and five. Oh wow. Yeah. Dang. That's a lot of laps. And the other bikes in our class did like three fifty ish. They did ninety six more laps than you. Yeah. That's a lot. It's a lot of laps. Holy moly. Um, so but that you was, came in in the illustrious fourth place? Yeah. And we finished, we're t- we're Third top, and fifth place. Top five finish <laughs> in, your, in your class. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, we weren't the last team, that's for sure, overall. So that's that's good. You know, like It's one of those things, like, I, I'm very competitive. I want to win. So I can get very frustrated of, like, when we crash. And it's like, oh, that's my fault. That's the reason why we're not winning. And then make it matters worse, like... I'm just useless in terms of putting the bike back together. So I'm just kind of like standing there watching everyone else do work. And I'm just hey guys, like, you want some water? Here's that screwdriver. Here you go. Yeah. Cause I'm fucking useless at this. So my, my teammates were very, were very good at um, picking up the slack where slack needed to be picked up. <laughs> um, and very gracious about the whole thing. We had a lot of fun. And, that, and that's the thing, right? Like it's, it's, it's a race for fun. We're supposed to have fun out yeah. there and it is a lot of fun. Um, Everyone was like good, good sports, good competitors, good camaraderie in the pits. There's just some good proper shit talking, at least. There's some good shit talking. Nice. You know, it, it's it's a good day out at the track. It's 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 a low key thing. It's a great contrasting event to doing something like Omra, where like this is proper road racing. Right. Our bikes get teched, and you do this, and you have a gear <laughs> tech, and you have to have a medical form, and da, 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 da. here you show up in an old two stroke. I mean, they Kawasaki. still they still look the bike over. You still got to get it, get it tacked. If you show up with some shanky gear, they're probably gonna be like, "Hey, buddy, put a put a you know, you yeah, put on some newer jeans or something." But, <laughs> um, it's it's 
it's a good low barrier to entry where you can still go out and have fun. And even when like, you know, like we're losing by like 50 laps, we're still having fun. Yeah. Um, and I treated, I finished, so I f- started the race and I finished the race. Um, and I, my last stint, I'm like, I'm still out there putting down the laps as hard as I can. I mean, I know I'm 50, 60 laps back, but I'm still out there working. Just imagine the person with the finish uh, flag is like, get off the track. I'm not done yet. I'm not done yet. Come on, no, dude, I remember, stop I, it. <laughs> I remember the lead bike coming through. So halfway through, we, we changed directions on the track, which makes it interesting. Oh, wow. Because you can ride that track both ways. I wish that would and happen without you guys getting off the bike. Just just turn around on the front. straight. Turn around now. Where are we getting? So it's, it's cool because it's it's a very different track the other direction. And, and like the sections really change. And I remember um, like when the hairpin turns, when the, uh, the Ovali got past me. But I was able to kind of get it back at the braking zone. And there's like a really like... There's a couple lines you can take in, but you can carry the brakes really deep into this one turn. And that's what I do. So I'm kind of stuffing the the Ovali. He gets around me like, you know, two, three turns later, and he's just shaking his head. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not happy with you. And I was just like going like, I know I'm 50 laps behind, but you're working for every every corner. If you <laughs> thought I was going to give you that corner, you were very mistaken. And I don't care that there's five <laughs> laps left in the race and you're like racing for the win. I am 100% going to make you work for getting around so me. So you're sticking the leg out on the, on the outside of your bike, just trying to block them. <laughs> I was like, it was a clean pass. Just leave it alone. This is the old game road rash but uh, we had a lot of fun uh i definitely think if you if you're in the area next year come on spectate if you want because i think it's a good time just in the pits and, and hanging out yeah but really for i think the entry is like 300 dollars. you split that between the three people racing it's 100 bucks a pop yeah that's a that's a really cheap couple handlebars couple of foot pegs yeah 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 so it's a lot of fun um Assuming I don't get invited back to that team, Shaheen, we should we should push you do it next year. Get a team of our oh, own. Man, together. can we just do like you, Christian, and I? I'll just be the slow guy. We'll just assume I'm the slow guy. Yeah, that'll be so much fun. That'd be a hoot, dude. I think we should do it. I think we should do. What kind of bike should we do it on? I don't know. See, that's that's the thing. Like the vintage. This is my first time racing a vintage bike, and I think the GPZ is like vintage. I'm doing little quotes. Uh-huh. I mean, it's an older bike, but it's kind of unfair. Um, but they had like an RG that was out there. It was an RG and an RD. I can't remember. There's some cool bikes out there. I, I bet we could. Oh, I think. Um, so you can do like a cool vintage thing, and racing vintage is is really interesting. Uh, like ninety percent of it's like making the bike work right. <laughs> yeah, just got to um, be within the limits of that bike. Or you get, uh, I think a Ninja two fifty or a Ninja three hundred is legal. I forget what the class oh. breakdown is. No, I'm more interested in a vintage bike. That just the Ovali just looks painful. Like, yeah, okay, congratulations, you're gonna probably win the race. If you don't, you're doing it wrong. Um, but it just doesn't look fun. I, I I'm so into this idea. Yeah. For next year. Yeah. I think I almost want to just buy a cheap old vintage bike just to prep for this. I think our bike was acquired for nine hundred dollars a long, long time ago. It was like the hand. It was awesome. like it was the bike that got passed around in the club. I think every <laughs> club member has probably spent time on this motorcycle. That's awesome. Because it was just like some maybe that's thing. the entry. First time racers have to ride yeah. the GPZ 550. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's an Ovale. No, sir. This is your first race. You have to deal with the Red Dragon over here. <laughs> was it red? No, it was um. What? I like to c- describe the color as speed patina. Ah, uh, it was a blackish color. Ish with bits of brown and but, yellow and yeah, and like a couple pieces of dark dark gray <laughs> and just uh, yeah. 
I don't know. It was funny. It was funny. Like that bike surprised me. Uh, we're talking a lot of crap about it. That bike surprised me. That bike was pretty good uh, until it crashed. It was. It just did not crash well. That was the thing. If that bike had crashed better, we would have been there. Yeah, I think you need something that doesn't have old patinaed metal bits on it that just snap off if you look at it. It was wrong. just the way the foot pegs go into the <laughs> frame and the way they were held. Like, it was just a really weird thing. It was, yeah, it just didn't crash well. We, we weren't prepared for that. Anyways, um, that was a good, con- well, it wasn't like a good contrast to my other racing pursuit, which was round three at Omra, which was at the Ridge with Wormra or yeah. Washington. That I heard that Kilhart. was a, an, let's call it eventful weekend. <sighs> Well, I mean, there was it was eventful for me because my bike still wasn't ready beforehand. But it was also eventful for everyone else because it was just kind of a, a crazy weekend. So I didn't get up there until Saturday afternoon because I, I just couldn't get my bike working right. Right. Couldn't get it back together until then. Uh, really, really fortunate that the guys at Motocorsa worked me into their schedule to get me. They they worked on the bike Saturday. I took it straight from there up Holy to the moly. track. Yeah, and you have like a two and a half, three hour drive ahead of you. Yeah. So, I mean, I wouldn't even been up there if it wasn't for them. So, huge shout out to to that team, to Kevin and Jet for, for getting me in there and nice. taking care of me. Because I was, I was super stressed, super struggle bus, super not happy. Totally like just having like the KTM clutch is not easy to put back together. Is it uh, solved? The clutch? The clutch is solved okay. because the clutch apparently wasn't the issue. Got it. Which I don't quite hopefully next podcast i'll have a definitive so i was working on it today and hopefully that's fixed it but i can't confirm it until probably tomorrow so we'll just leave that aside get up there find out that like they've had this crazy day of red flag every race has been red flag basically um had two life flights one from the racing for for the round and one for there's a motocross track there as well yeah one for the motocross rider um, really, really sad to say that uh, Pierce Lutz, he was the, the rider that got metaf- uh, medevaced out of um, the ridge from Omra, uh, later passed away. Uh, total heartbreaker, young guy. I, I didn't know him at all, but sounds like a really good dude. And um, just gotten engaged. Uh, this is, he was his novice season was last year. Uh, we were just watching one of his novice races yeah, yeah. Uh, for the for I think the novice six hundred championship win, which was pretty cool to watch. It was like down to like one point, and I think it probably got decided by like a couple tenths of a second. It was I mean, right it was, that the was line. Some, they were they were exchanging some, some paint there at the last. Yeah, they were they were right there. It was good. It was a good race to watch. Um, it was a little a little sobering. I was talking to some people about it afterwards because you know it's. Uh, it's an interesting reality of motorcycle racing, you know, and it's one of those things like I think about when I go out on the track is like our thing that we go do for fun carries with it a certain risk. Mm-hmm. And that's not like your usual things of fun. We're like, like we were watching soccer while we were watching like yeah. your ridiculous milkshake, <laughs> and, you know, and like the, they're in the penalty. It's world cup, uh, women's game, Nor- Norway versus South Korea. Korea. Yeah. And uh, the Norwegian girl got, you know, tripped up in the penal- in the goalie box area and kind of like got her ankle taken out. And she was on the ground for like, I don't know, a couple minutes. They're putting ice on her and she walks off and it'll be okay. And that's like the risk that comes with soccer. Like, I mean, worst case scenario, you might have a torn muscle. I don't think any of it is really necessarily life-threatening. Though. No, like it would really have to go sideways for it yeah. to go life-threatening. But that's like, that's a very safe sport compared to motorcycle racing. Like motorcycle racing, it's like, you're going to break bones. You're going to... 
you're going to crash. You're going to hit something. You're going to have an issue. Right. Some of those issues could be life changing. Some of those issues could be life threatening. It's a, it's a different, it's a different echelon of, of risk. Yep. And you know, all of us know that when we get on the track and hopefully all the people in our lives know that reality when we get on the track as well. And, um, I don't think that was any different for this case here. And it actually sounded really interesting because um, his fiance was posting up like she said something that was along the lines of like, well, she and Pierce had had a conversation about quality of life and, and, and all that. And, you know, they were saying like, basically it didn't sound like he was going to wake up from a coma kind of thing. And she was saying like, you know, he wouldn't want to live on that way. So we're going to take him off life support and that's his wishes. And mm-hmm. it was really cool that, to me that they had had that conversation because I think that's a conversation that every motorcyclist should have with their loved ones. And it's a really serious one. And it's a really tough one to have, but the what if factor is just a little too high. Yeah. Like, I don't know what the odds are. Like, I don't know how many, how do you, how do you quantify it? I mean, Omar's had a few fatalities in the last 10 years or so. And I'm trying to think like how many racers there are, but like, Statistically speaking, that odd has to be one in a thousand or whatever. Right. Which is pretty low. I mean, that's. But that's it's still a reality. But one in a thousand is not crazy. No. You know, like we. we oh, like mitig- if somebody said one in a thousand chance of you getting a lottery ticket one, you're yeah. going to go buy a ticket. Yeah. Because <laughs> the real lottery odds are like one in a billion yeah. or something. You know, that's the thing. People go out and buy lottery tickets all the time on a one in a billion chance. Right. So here's something that's significantly more likely to happen. And what do we do about it? And it's, it's made me really think a lot about like, um, you know, making sure that, you know, before I go on a ride or a race, having like my documents together, like, Mm -hmm. Hey, if something happens, here's all my important stuff. Mm -hmm. Here it is in, in one envelope here's a video of my wishes. Here's my will. Here's my finances. This is, you know, the deed to my house or my cars or whatever it is. What do I get by the way? Um, I don't know. What do you want? Street fighter. Okay, fine. Street <laughs> fighters, street fighters, your I mean, I don't ever, ever, ever want anything to happen to you, but just so you know, it has a good home. I can't have Coda Kitty because I'm severely allergic to her. So Street Fighter is the next best thing. Coda Kitty, I think is taken care of. I got a couple verbal verbals on that. <laughs> um, but yeah, you know, like it, it's, it's one of those things like I, when I talk to motorcyclists, I don't hear them often talk about what the in case shit happens plan is. No, most people don't want to don't want to come face to face with that. Yeah. That's a scary thing, right? Which is weird, though, because I think as motorcyclists, we do come face to face with it really often. Every day. And that's part as of the As soon as you put your leg over that bike, you're coming face to face with that. And and I think for a lot of people, the fear of it, you know, having worked on the retail side forever, the thing that we always saw was the significant others, the loved ones in the in, in your life are the ones that are you know, waving red flags about you wanting to do this sport lifestyle, whatever it is. So I think the fear some people have is if you admit that it's dangerous at that level, then you're having to admit to your family that you're choosing to do this dangerous thing regardless mm. of what the outcome mm. might be. I think that's right. I think you're absolutely right about that. That's a tough one, but you got to have that conversation because I mean, I think, I think there's a couple things on a variety of levels. Like you need to have that conversation with your loved ones to to get ready for that reality. And so when you have an incident like this where it goes completely sideways, it's mm-hmm. the worst possible outcome. There's a plan. You know what your wishes are. Hey, you're in a vegetative state. You know, if I'm in a vegetative state, like 
does my does my mom know what to do? Because that's that's who's going to have to decide what to do. Yes, she's the only person with legal standing. I'm not married. I don't have another family member that's going to be there. Um, you know, better be better be on the same page with that because they're going to start making decisions for you, and they're not they're going to have to try. Let's put it this way: if there isn't a plan, they're going to have to infer what you would want. Yeah, and that's a really tough position to put someone in. Rather than it's like, no, Jensen said, keep them on live support for a week, and if it doesn't get better, take them off. Or a month, or if there's these, 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 or he would never want to be, you know, paralyzed from the neck down, or or whatever it is, you know, have that conversation. Mm-hmm. So that way, they don't have to make that decision because the hardest thing you can do to a loved one is make them have to make that decision for you. It's better to be making that decision for yourself and give them their marching orders. Mm-hmm. There's actually a lot of research to suggest that this is how like humans work best. Uh, Milgram's experiment shows us very well for this, um, and that. You know, that's that's part of the burden that comes with doing the support. And also, then there's like the financial side of it. Like, make sure you have enough money to cover your health care deductible. Make sure you have health care in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like, I have a lot of opinions and theories about, like, when people set up GoFundMe accounts and stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's fine that that's an option, but I agree. I, I agree that you should have your... You know, to overly simplify it, your, your T's crossed and your I's dotted, right? Just to... And it's... I'm glad you're bringing this up because I think a lot of people either don't think about it because they haven't thought of it before or they don't think about it out of fear of it becoming reality, right? I, I think it's the latter. I think as soon as you say something could go wrong, then a lot of people out of superstition go, oh, thanks a lot. You put that into the universe now. Yeah. Something might go wrong because you said something. Well, no, that's not how life works. If you're if you're dealing with speed and gravity and other people making decisions on the track around you, something may very well go wrong. So. You're absolutely 100% right. I I couldn't agree more with you in that you should have all your affairs in order and put clear, concise directions down for what might happen. I mean, just doing a simple track day should have that behind it. Never mind going out racing where you're really putting it out there at 100%. It's, uh, yeah, it's a little sobering. It's a really kind of a sad time in the Omer family. The Wormer family really put a, a pail over the, the weekend. And, um, you know, it's just it's just an unfortunate thing. It's an unfortunate thing to see someone that young. Uh, yeah, he was only twenty seven. Uh, he was Ish. yeah, he's in his twenties, I believe, older twenties. Yeah, and uh, just about to start a life with someone and, and do all, the whole thing, and now that's not going to happen. And that's really tough. It's a really sad reality, but it's really tough. So, um, well, definitely. we give our condolences to his family. It's a uh, it affects us, and we're not you know close with him. You know, it's 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 a small community. Motorcycling is a small community. Racing sm- smaller, so yeah. So um, <laughs> that's uh, that's a little bit of a downer. Um, it fits really well, though, for the thing I want to talk about next. And if you can ex- excuse kind of like a tough transition off a off a topic like that into like uh, another like kind of more like esoteric subject, but it, it's about safety and, and it's um, how it's third. Well, it's third, but like truthfully, Shaheen, like I had my my brain blown um, this last trip I went on to Sweden, and okay. it, because it really changed how I thought about helmet safety. And you know, one of the first things I did after I got back was order a new helmet, to, really, to, to go race in. And um, so you visited the MIPS people. So I went to MIPS, and they're based in just outside Stockholm. So. We've seen this a little bit in the space, but I don't think we've ever really talked about it. 
And MIPS is a technology that helps uh, mitigate the damage we get from the rotational force of an impact. And uh, there's not there's a few companies out in the space like this. Um, Fluid is one that they just actually got acquired by MIPS. 6D has a helmet technology that is similar in philosophy, but very different in application. Um, but they all basically come around the same idea. And it was really fascinating to walk, look at the science side of this. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, I'll try to like condense this like into the most like succinct and approachable form of it. But basically like your brain is like jello. It has a similar consistency, similar properties, which makes it really good at linear impacts, but it has a shearing effect on rotation. So it's like, like if you've ever, I don't know if anyone would ever actually do this, but like if you, if you poke jello, it's pretty good at absorbing that side poke, but if you spin it, it'll kind of break apart. Mm -hmm. That's exactly what happens in your brain. So the, the analogy that was given to me was thinking about like a boxer. You know, you look at boxers when they get knocked out. They don't get knocked out from jabs. You know, punches that come straight at them. No, it's the sideways shots. It's the sideways. It's the hooks right. and it's the uppercuts. And the reason that is is because the brain is really good at actually impacting, absorbing directly linear impacts. There's there's definitely some stuff that happens. It's not to say you couldn't knock someone out that way because you hit them hard enough and it will create some force inside the the brain. But that's what our brain and the fluid that it's in and our skull is basically designed to protect us against because mm-hmm. that's the kind of uh, impacts that you kind of encounter like as a caveman if you think about it in that sense of it mm-hmm. like in an evolutionary sense but the rotational impacts that's where we get in trouble and they actually came up so MIPS did a lot of studies with um, uh, that when the I mean, when the chief founders is a you know world-renowned neurologist and neuro, neurologist neurosurgeon neurosurgeon and, you know, he's basically, they've basically come up with like a model for the brain and like they do like the finite element analysis of a brain impact, like like a, a linear impact versus a rotational one. And you watch that. I mean, it is night and day. Like really? the entire brain when it, when it twists, just turns red. Whereas like the linear impact, it turns like yellow, orange, and maybe a little part like the back turns red. You can just very different. And you get down to a cellular level and it's just a mess. Like we're basically just ripping neurons apart. And they're saying like, you know, like yeah, they were taking tissue samples from people that had like, you know, pretty good concussions and comparing them to like dementia and Alzheimer's patients. Mm-hmm. And they're like almost indecipherable because like we're, we're that's basically what we're doing to our brain is calling causing these neurons to, to break. And the incidence of Alzheimer's and dementia from those who have received, you know, traumatic brain injuries goes way up. I and there's like the correlation is like just like super obvious. So there's all this science is basically saying like the rotational impact is way more important to mitigate than the linear impact. And the problem with helmet designs is we don't really build helmets for rotational impacts. We build them for linear impacts. So pretty so much every describe helmet, a rotational impact as opposed to in, in a motorcycling sense. Okay. Well, it's almost easier to describe what a linear impact is. So if I just um, was stayed stiff as a board and hit the ground my head hits, right. it's going to come down on an arc and just hit directly square on the ground. So completely not natural way of falling. Or if I'm riding on my motorcycle and like a pull, I hit a tree branch as I ride by okay. totally linear. Right. If it hits me square in the head, but 
that doesn't really happen when you crash. No. So when you crash, you come at an angle or you hit it off center. And what that does is it will cause the helmet and the head and then also the brain to torsion. So like the greatest example would be like, think about you hit the ground, you're on a track day, you're kind of high side. If you were just, if it was just a linear impact, we would just drop you from, you know, five feet down hit your head, but you're not just dropping five feet down. You're also moving like 50, 60 miles an hour. Mm -hmm. So the force of the impact is really coming at a 45 degree angle. And that's going to cause your head to twist because you're going to come in, you know, your helmet's going to catch on the ground. There's friction. There's a whole, whole thing. There's a lot of different ways that that can. So essentially any and all dynamic way of falling. Pretty much, pretty much every time (laughs) you fall outside of a laboratory, you're having some sort of rotation to it. Because that's just the physics of it. Um, but what's really interesting is the G-forces from an impact happen at the very, very, very earliest parts of the impact. Okay. So if we're, this is really hard to do without visuals. But if you're plotting time along a gra- on the X-axis and you're plotting G-force on the Y-axis, it would look like a huge spike and then taper off of a tail. Because you're having that middle, the initial impact, that's all the G's. Your, your head's going from, you know, zero miles an hour or far, like 50 miles an hour to zero miles an hour in an instant, mm-hmm. all this G-force. And then it kind of balances out as, you know, it comes to a rest. That is also the time when your head's most likely to rotate. So the most the highest point of the G-force is also during the highest point of rotation. And that's where we get into trouble. So a system like MIPS or a system like 6D, what they do is that they allow the helmet to rotate independent of the head, independent ah. and thus independent of the brain. And they only do it for like a fraction of a second. There's not a lot there. There's not a lot. Of, they uh, MIPS, I think they shoot for 10 to 15 millimeters of rotation um, of, of travel inside the helmet. And that's just enough to allow the helmet to rotate during that initial spike where that the most force is happening in the impact the part that's really going to fuck you up basically mm-hmm. it allows it to rotate then and that turns that rotational energy into a linear energy because your head your brain i should say is experiencing all the force in a direct line it's the helmet that's rotating and it's really hard to show that without like a visual the takeaway is you start mapping the force that's applied to the brain itself mm-hmm. and it's like half because you're allowing all that energy to dissipate out through longer. It's going through different parts of the helmet. So you're spreading the energy over a larger surface area. You're spreading the energy in a linear trajectory. You're doing all these things really well to help mitigate it. Less energy going to the brain means less damage, which means less concussion, less right. dementia, less, you know, less long term uh, issues. And you just sit there and you're just looking at it. And you're like, you're seeing like how bad rotational forces are, like how that's, that's the game. Like, like protecting your head from linear impacts, almost stupid. I mean, you got to do it, (laughs) but like, that's not like you're measuring the wrong thing. Right. It's all about this rotational thing because the rotational force could be like a quarter of what the linear force is, but the damage and do just as much damage. Right. So you so you start realizing like, okay, that's the thing we need to start protecting here are these things that are effective at protecting against it or better than protecting. It's like, 
why do I wear a helmet? I wear a helmet to protect my head. That's mm-hmm. the number one goal of my helmet. And that's what made me come home. Was like, I love this helmet that I wear on the racetrack. I wear an AGV piece to GPR. I yeah. love that helmet. Great helmet. But not MIPS. But it's not MIPS. And the second I said, they're going like, everything I love about this helmet, it does uh, as a tracking helmet is, I think, one of the best. I think it is the best. That's why I'm wearing it. But as a helmet to protect my head, I know it's now not the best because I've seen all this research and I've seen all this data and I've seen all these impacts. And the first thing I did was go out and buy the the only MIPS equipped helmet. So that was going to be my next question. I mean, in the retail world, I can only think of one brand that makes MIPS equipped helmets. So for motorcycles in the U.S., Bell is your only hope. Yeah. And then Bell Shui doesn't have one. No one has one. And that's and that's a that's a whole topic to get into. Yeah. Uh, on why that is. Um Bell has their flex technology, which is similar. Well, it's not similar, but it's the same idea. And for a long time they were kind of touting as a rotational thing, and then they partnered up with MIPS. So now Bell offers a MIPS helmet and they mm-hmm. offer their own flex helmet. Uh, I already have a Bell Flex. Uh, Pro Star. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's what I'm wearing now until my MIPS one shows up. Um, otherwise, your only other bet is uh, 6D, and they have um, it does it, it. It achieves a similar goal. It's it's along the same vein, but they do it very differently. They have like these little rubber rubber. Well, they're not rubber, but they're elastometric. Um, how do you describe this? It's basically a helmet within a helmet. And they've put like these rubber. It's, like it's almost like a dampening system in there. Yeah, they put these like little like rubber things in between the two helmets that allows them to move back and forth. Right. That that's how they they do their rotational thing. Is it is it as precise as the way MIPS is going about it? Depends. I mean, it depends who you ask, right? Um, I think the way it was explained to me is sixty does a good job, but it doesn't do as good of a job as MIPS does. I'm sure if I talk to 6D about it, I'm going to get a different different story. story. Yeah, so the question is, are they having like a third-party testing vendor? Okay, so that's where things get really interesting. There is no standard, and that's where things start getting really weird. Uh, And now MIPS is in motorcycle helmets. My ski helmet has MIPS in it. Bicycles in a lot, Bicycle helmets. I mean, equestrian helmets. They're a a technology. They're kind of like a B2B company. They're trying to sell this, this technology to people that already make helmets and other sports yeah um and then you have like a company like 6d which started out on the dirt bike side and now is trying to come over to the street side and you have a couple other players in the space but there's no standard that anyone is building to or, or is being tested to so you've got people out there saying like hey we've got a rotational you know energy dampening system mm-hmm. and you put it up on the drop rig and it's exactly the same as like a normal helmet you're like okay well how are you doing it because like we can't replicate whatever result you're seeing is happening isn't being replicated and you have some brands that are more effective than others um so it's a little wild west it's interesting that uh, the fim just came out with their own helmet standard recently in fact this recent race at catalonia was the first round that was being instituted supposed to start at the start of the season well, there's a lot of issues with getting brands into compliance. Hmm. So they delayed it until this round in Barcelona. And that's why you saw who were the riders? The riders that are sponsored by Suwami. Uh, uh, what's that Korean one? XYT. Andre Iannone wears it. There's a couple helmets that are that didn't get their brand, their helmets up to grade soon enough with the FIM standards. So you saw guys 
and like showies and rise that were painted with like Suwami stickers <laughs> right. on it or XYT. <laughs> Still had to show off their their yeah because <laughs> that's like who their helmet sponsorship is. And so that was kind of like a funny, you know, not, I mean it's not that funny, but it was kind of like a an interesting um, cause of that. The new FIM standard has a rotational uh, energy component to it. It just hasn't come into effect yet because they're trying to let brands have time to develop their own systems. But for me, I look at having a rotational energy component in a helmet akin to having an airbag in your jacket or leathers where it's like we've come up with this technology. It can never have too much protection. We've proven can you? this technology. It's like if you're riding around in leathers right now that don't have an airbag, like you have willingly decided not to have as much safety as possible. Right. Like it just doesn't make sense to me. You're doing a thing that has very likely, as we just discussed, very likely to end up in a bad way. Right. And you're not as prepared as you could be. <laughs> and I look at the same thing. I'm like, I've seen the data. I've seen the research. I've seen the results. If you're wearing a helmet that isn't equipped to handle rotational energy impacts, you're not riding in the safest helmet possible. So how long do you think before the other brands start picking up on this? Well, that's the thing. Like this technology has been around for a decade. I know, but why isn't everybody else doing it? Is it a proprietary issue? It's not a proprietary issue because as we saw, Bell has created their own system. Sixties created their own system. Um, MIPS is in the business of selling their system to other companies and like ballpark. It adds like $50 in price to the helmet. So like, I don't know why an awry that's selling a helmet for $850 doesn't just make a $900 MIPS version because the difference between me buying an $850 helmet and a $900 helmet is really minimal, especially if you sit there and you tell me this one's got MIPS. Or this yeah, we just had got... lunch that was that much difference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and we, we ate $50 in sushi. Like, come on. Um, I was but their, their whole stick is that consumers aren't asking for it. Yeah. And that's what consumers, consumers don't know about educated. it. Yeah. And truthfully, helmet companies are fucking lazy. Because they're been making the same product for 30, 40 years, the same way they've been doing it. Like we talk about like multi-density layered foam. You're like, that's just styrofoam that's different densities than the other. That's not fucking rocket science. No. That technology's been around for years. And you're paying nine hundred dollars for it anyways. You know, like don't act like that's like this cutting edge thing because that's not. That's <laughs> a styrofoam cooler put next to a styrofoam cup. It's like the same <laughs> level of like it's like these like people are like, oh, my phone has got a stand on it so I can watch TV with it on the table. Congratulations, you invented a triangle, Great. as one of my friends <laughs> once job. said. Like you're not like you didn't reinvent the wheel here. But like that's the thing. Like our our helmets are that technology hasn't really evolved a lot in the latest uh, in the last 30 years. And it's really cheap to make a helmet. It's really cheap to make a helmet. And what separates a thousand dollar helmet from a hundred dollar helmet. Really isn't that much. No. A lot of it's marketing. Um, I've yet to really see conclusive evidence. In fact, there is very little correlation between the safety numbers that I've seen. There's very little correlation between price of helmet, and the safety rating. There is, however, a pretty good correlation between the safety rating and the weight of the helmet. And that just comes down to like, hey, we put more padding in it. We put more foam in it. Right. Um. So that's really interesting, interesting thing to see. My 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 whole new mission at Asphalt and Rubber is to like spread the good word of of rotational impacts and yeah. whether that's MIPS, if that's 6D, if that's Bells, if that's any other company that wants to get on board with this, I will not wear a helmet that doesn't have this some form of this technology in it now. 
just the same way as like, I won't wear a jacket that doesn't have airbags in it. I'm not gonna wear a suit that doesn't have an airbag in it. Especially at the level that you're riding in. It's just the my whole bread and butter. Like I'm not that strong. I'm not that good looking. I'm not that whatever. All I got is my brain, Shaheen. Listen, I got to protect my investment. I think you're easily a six out of ten. That's pretty good looking. Like in my a Portland, books. a Portland six. Oh, you're a Portland eight. <laughs> no, you're like, you're an about, LA six. Think about it. Like your most important thing, the most important thing you're going to protect is your brain. Yeah. Your brain, your hands, your, everything really. But the, anytime I would see somebody just not get the gear. When I lived in Florida and worked in the industry, you know, the gear is not even secondary. I think like exhaust system secondary to people. And then at some point later on, I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I should probably buy a helmet too that I'll never wear that I'll just strap to the back of my bike to show that I have a helmet. So I get that it's your choice and that's fine, but it's, it's, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how people can strap themselves on top of a motorcycle, whether it's 200 CC bike or a 1200 CC bike and not say, oh yeah, this, this mushy thing that I carry around with me called my body needs to be protected in the best way possible. It's uh, it's going to take some time. I remember uh, I grew up skiing and no one wore helmets when I was a kid. I didn't start wearing a helmet when I skied until the last few seasons. Um, and it was just one of those, like, it, just, it just wasn't done. Like We didn't hear about head injuries on the ski slopes. There wasn't like enough of a safety push. It wasn't cool or whatever it was. The only people you saw with helmets, I'm just trying to think of like even like the Olympians had helmets, maybe like Super G did. <laughs> but, you know, like the casual, you know, like you think about like the classic skiing garb was like, you know, a little beanie with a little fuzzy thing at the top and a scarf and a jacket. You know, they like look that, nice. Yeah. You know, like that was, that's like, like the, the Norman Rockwell version of skiing. <laughs> and now like you, you can't go to the ski slopes without seeing basically everyone's in a helmet. Oh, yeah. You can rent a helmet with your skis now. Um, it's become ubiquitous. And I think cycling's the same way. I'm thinking about like, um, uh, who's the American rider that won the Le Mans, the the Tour de France, Greg LeMond. Greg LeMond won the. Uh, he was like Lance Armstrong before it was cool being Lance Armstrong. Oh, um, how many times did he? How many times did he win the Tour de France general classification? Uh, I can't read that. Is that like six times, three times, five times? I don't know. But like, I remember like, like OG, like cycling back in the day, right? Back in the uh, mid eighties, they were those little stupid little hats. Oh, yeah. Those stupid little fucking with the, hats. With the little, with the little, uh, even in the nineties, not everyone had a helmet on. And then you start seeing like now, like, I don't think you can race without a helmet. No. And I still kind of grew up in that same thing where, um, when I rode cycling a lot, I didn't wear a helmet. And then, you know, as I got older, like, like college and, and later in life, like started my friends to start hounding me like, Hey man, like really You're not going to wear a helmet. And I look at them like, you think that little helmet's going to do anything? You get hit by a car. I got news for you. But you know, we evolve and I think motorcycling is there. I think motorcycling is a really resistant to change organization or yeah. a pursuit. You and I have talked about as this we've learned, quite yep. a bit it'll take us a little bit longer. We're about 10, 20 years behind. And if this is all some stuff that was happening in the late eighties, early nineties, we're just now starting to get there. I think on the timeline, but I think this is part of it. Like you and I having this conversation, Yeah, these conversations are very helpful. Um, about it. You know, like, like legitimately, I'm like, I'm not gonna wear a helmet that doesn't have some sort of 
mitigation for this. If it's not MIPS, if it's not 6D, if it's not something else, I'm just so not going to do it. What kind of price line are you looking at for... Uh, what's the average price for a MIPS-equipped Bell helmet since they were really the only ones in the... Um, it wasn't... It's actually like their middle-of-the-line like sport bike helmet. So like 650 uh, I don't even think it's that much. Hold on, look it up. Uh, star MIPS 550. 550. The race star is 750 now. And then 60, how much is a 60 helmet? I have a 60 helmet. Does 60 make street helmets? I thought they were, they they were dirt I only. I love their street helmet. It's, it's, the quality isn't quite there. Like in terms of like the fit and finish and the components, like the way the vents work, it's physically really big. Huh. Uh, it's not the most comfortable helmet for my head, but knowing what I know now, I might suck it up a little bit. <laughs> uh, Motorsports Street, how much is it? $600, marked down from $750. My biggest thing with the 6D is it's so big. Like their technology really is like a helmet inside of another helmet, and like the inner helmet moves against the upper helmet. Right. Which you, you can see why it would work. Um, but it just creates a very big shell size. You look like one of those aliens from Mars Attacks. It's very heavy. It's very physically big. Uh, I did a test with these helmets on this track, mm -hmm. and it's noticeable how much more wind resistance it gets. So I'm not like super in love with their helmet. I quite like the Bell. I like not even knowing about the rotation, all that. Like the Bell, I have a Pro Star. That is my go to street helmet. Mm -hmm. I, I really that. like It's really easy to work with. It has good vision. It's pretty light. It's good size. It feels pretty good build quality. It's just, it's an easy helmet to ride with. Um, I like the AGV piece to GPR because it's super light. It's super aerodynamic. Oh, yeah. It just it vents really well. Yeah. It's got a, a full size um, pin lock that's a 120. Like, it just does all the things. It's it's like the Ferrari of helmets. I but no it. MIPS. But it has no MIPS. I know. Um, and that's like the thing where I'm just sitting there. It's like the whole point is this is is if I crash, I I'm want. Curious. The best I'm curious to see helmet. if the other brands start catching on to this rotational thing, and if whether they'll go with MIPS that already has the technology there, or if they're going to try and do their own thing like 660 and make their own. It just seems like it'd be more expensive if they try to come up with their own technology as opposed to just buy into somebody else's Yeah, research. I mean, I see it both ways. Like, MIPS is like a turnkey thing for them. It's a well-recognized brand. Now, I, I talked to my cycling guys about it. I was actually talking to one of my buddies right before I went to Sweden. He's like, oh, yeah, I've heard of MIPS. Yeah, cycling helmets. Huh. And he's a motorcyclist, but he didn't know about it from motorcycling. He's like, oh, they're, they're making that with helmets? That's cool. Oh, yeah, I know it from cycling. Every right. one of my buddies has that little yellow dot in their cycling helmet because that's MIPS. Yeah. Um. So I don't know if, I mean, that's a turnkey operation. There might be other brands. Like there's there's a couple brands out there that, that do it. Like Bell. Bell's innovating. Like, hey, we can come up with our own system. We've got our own crash rig and we can do this. And, you know, there's other companies out there that can do that too that are very safety focused. That's kind of one of the things I want to do in the next you know few weeks is reach out to some of these other brands that don't have an option. Be like, okay, what are you guys doing? Yeah, what's what's your story? Because like you need to do it. Yeah. And if you're doing it, I want to tell your story because this is obviously something I want to promote. I want to promote better helmets in the industry. We've been wearing the same type of fucking helmets for far too long. This isn't quite the innovation that I'm looking for, but it's innovation. It's the next step. And right. then I'm really looking for the step afterwards. Um, really fascinating talking to the guys at MIPS about like what causes us to have brain injuries. Like it's the impact, 
but really it's the fluid that builds up in the brain afterwards the 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 pressure that comes from it that's what gets you man and it sticks around forever and ever you know so they're talking about like technology where you know like you're actually you'd be like injecting fluid into the brain or sucking out fluid and all these different things you're just like what (laughs) like i can't even imagine that world but that's like 100 years out probably kind of thing but very interesting very interesting stuff but yeah, man, I totally, it totally blew my mind. Uh, it totally made me rethink what I was putting on my head. Uh, like I said, I ordered a MIPS helmet from from Bell, like literally the day I got home. Are they pretty easy to get a hold of here in the U.S.? Yeah, just, just I mean, you can order online. You can get it. get it from you know all the usual places right. online. Uh, most good dealerships have them. You can go down like here here in Portland. Yeah, you can go down to Motocorsa and get a MIPS helmet from Bell. Nice. Or you can buy a, uh, their Race Star, which has Bell's proprietary system, which I didn't really get a good read on how good that is. It's better than nothing, though. That's what I'm wearing right now because it's better than nothing. Yeah. Because what I was working with before was nothing. Your question earlier before we started the recording was, "Are you still wearing that same helmet?" Yeah. Because I've got, I've got, I've got seven or eight different helmets, but they're all different brands, and none of them have MIPS on them because I don't have a single Bell helmet. I got 30 helmets downstairs, Shaheen. They're all obsolete now. Yep. All of them except for two. They're just paperweights now. It's they may not even be safe enough for that. I mean, that's the thing. Like, So I went and did round three at, at the Ridge. Well, I didn't. So to finish that story, I did two whole laps the whole weekend. Woo! Because I was just still having issues. You know, it's called work smart, not hard. And clearly, you're working super smart if you're only doing two laps. But yeah, so it wasn't that wasn't going well. But what helmet did I wear? I wore, I wore my bell. Yeah. Because it's, at least it's got the flex in it, uh, and that's you know it's a good helmet. Like I don't want to like poo poo it. Uh, like I said, it's like it's the one I grab for the street all the time. I've done plenty of press launches in it on the track. Uh, I do have an issue with it when I wear my airbag jacket. That airbag jacket really has to be worn with my AGV, otherwise it, the back of the helmet hits the hump it's on the too jacket. Too low on, on the back of the helmet, and that's an issue with the jacket. Um, but it don't have that issue with my leathers, hmm. my leather suits better. Um, so that might be the only exception to the rule on, on the helmet thing is when I wear that jacket, which I do wear quite often. Um, it's not bad when you're upright. It's really when you're in a sport bike seating position that that becomes yeah, when you have issue. to bring your head back. Exactly. is when you bring the head back, you're trying to look through the, to- the, the corner and you can't do it because the back of the helmet's in the back of the front. I had to of change my entire uh, uh, set of gear, helmet, and jacket or suit for the track because we were just talking about this before the show. We gotta get you set up. Yeah, my my yellow suit that I had made for me ten years ago doesn't fit the same way anymore. And so the last time I wore it, when I went to go through turn four PIR, you have to look up and to the right, and I couldn't I couldn't see the apex. We gotta, it freaked me out. I was like, all right, get me off the track. I have to I have to change this right now. We gotta get you an airbag suit. We, we gotta get you suit. a rotating helmet. I need a gold airbag suit. Yeah, we should. We're gonna we're gonna talk to some people about it because like what, what? I'm, I am got a B in my bonnet on this issue because I literally just sat there and it's just like, I'm an idiot. I've been doing this all wrong. Everyone's doing this all wrong. Yeah. This is a huge issue. Like we could the, we could be saving lives. Like there, I don't know what the number is. I can't quantify it, but there are people who would have severely less brain damage or still be with us. If they're wearing this type of helmet, we can have um, weekly meetings at the Church of Brapistan for of the is gonna for like, the MIPS Anonymous. You just sit in there and be like, "Hi, my name is Shaheen, 
and I wear a helmet without MIPS technology in it. Hi, Shaheen. My my dream, like obviously I went to MIPS, so I'm all like mipped out. My dream was that like every helmet brand either is using some sort of third party technology like this right. or develops their own. I think it's just the next and, step. And we can test them and see who's the most effective. I don't think that's a far-fetched dream. I bet I bet in the next year, I bet by 2020, this will probably become a thing because people are going to start talking about this. You're not the only outlet that's talk about MIPS no, at this point. No, um, I think Psychworld Matthew Miles went out to, to MIPS uh, last year, and I know he wrote a bunch of stories, and it changed his whole view because he and I talked about it. And now I'm right there with him. I'm like, yeah, okay, now I see why you're getting all worked up because I'm worked up. I think what it needs is more conversations that are are sort of data-driven so that people aren't just saying, no, oh, it's just your opinion. Somebody you know, took you there and bought you dinner and showed you some cool stuff and you were, right? It's well, it's going to be a matter of saying, nope, this is the data. This is what's going to save your life. It's 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 a, an additional set of protection for the mush inside of your skull. Yeah. And you know, hopefully other businesses are going to start catching on to it. But until then... I guess I'm buying a Bell. Yeah. Or a 6D. Or a 6D. But I like Bells better because they have really cool designs. And I can get gold on them. Gold. <laughs> um, I, I mean. <sighs> the thing of it is I write every day. I, 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 right? And so I need something that protects my head like now because, yeah, while I test ride, you know, gear for other brands and stuff like that, I, the truth of it is I ride 10,000 miles a year on one motorcycle. I have other bikes, but that one bike gets 10,000 miles a year on it. So uh, that's a that's a lot of instances, and you don't have to be at the track for this to be a thing. It's every day I get cut off by somebody who's not looking. Every day I get damn near rear-ended by someone who's got the sun in their face. So I think the dangers are way more apparent and way more in your face in the real world than they are at the track. Although at the track, you're riding at a different pace, and you know if you fall down, there's gravity's totally against you. But I'm, I'm more concerned with a car hitting me and then creating damage that you know <laughs> that I wouldn't have otherwise. Yeah. So yeah, no, I, I I agree with the with the idea of of having that sort of change, safety third, but only because the one and two is have fun and be nice to others. But you know, cover your ass. Yeah, it's a it's a. I I literally I just listen to me. I'm like kind of rambling. Like I just I'm so worked up on it, and it's so like one of these like turning points for me, like on safety and thinking about the concept. Right. Like I already get like worked up pretty easily with. Everything. Well, anything. (laughs) Helmets are like a thing for me because I sit there and I look at like just the stagnation in the space and how much bullshit's in the space and how much like $100 head, $100 helmet. And you're like, well, not really. But, you know, I can think of a prominent brand that says that quite often in their press dealings who very clearly took a very unsafe part of their helmet and brought it below the testing line for the ECE to sidestep like negative you know ratings and stuff and you're just like well that's not really safer and you're charging me like a thousand dollars for a stupid helmet so (sighs) let's think about that for Hmm. a second Hmm. um but like that's the thing like there's so much junk in this space and all of it is anecdotal and there isn't any good hard evidence and that's probably one of the issues the biggest issues coming out with this rotational thing like there isn't a standard there isn't like a standard test there isn't like a standard measurement People can make whatever claims that they want, and that's not good because this is going to become a bigger issue, and we need to make sure that people aren't being frauds about it. Right. Aren't being frauds about someone's safety. It's ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Making claims that your helmet is, does something that it doesn't because you can because there's no standard and no one can call you out on it. 
I mean, the last time they had a major redesign in the helmet technology was probably MIPS because aside from that, it's been the that's the thing foam and some combination of plastic, fiberglass, carbon fiber, and Kevlar, right? There, yeah, I mean, you think about like the basic construction of the helmet is exactly the same, and MIPS is MIPS is really just like a liner. That I mean, that MIPS has a couple different solutions, but their main one is like a, a liner that kind of slips, and I can show you on my snow uh ski helmet i've seen how it is on the bell and okay. the 6d helmets so okay this, so you've this, seen that yep. that's a little different a little bit different but i get the concept it's of the it. same concept of like i think bell uses like plastic things that kind of like overlap each other and those slip against each other right. um mips is more like uh like a teflon hmm. uh how long is it good for do they say no but i mean you look at it like it's not like it's gonna get worn out yeah, i mean a helmet's typically got a five-year shelf life that when you're wearing it you typically say a helmet has a five-year shelf life now you can put a helmet on a shelf for five years take it off the shelf and wear it for another five and right. it'll probably be fine they should they should go out a head life not that's shelf the thing life. that's the thing like it's that's like the bullshit like oh you got a shelf life of five years and like helmets no. break down because like they don't really break down from sweat uh salt water isn't really going to do a ton Oils in your skin do it to some degree. Dirt does it to some degree. There's a lot of heat involved. The sun blasting heat, it. UV light is yeah. the biggest one. Um, but how much UV light's getting into the foam compartment? The composite breaks down over time. But man, that takes fucking eons to do that. So like, helmets break down. The life expectancy of a helmet really is coming from use. Yep. The wear and tear, I dropped it, I banged it against something, uh, it fell like three inches, and I thought that was okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was wearing in it, and I walked into the door, and it kind of slammed it. Like, all the stupid things you do with a helmet. Uh, it was on the side of the bike. Like, I used to carry my passenger helmet, like, on, like, a little hook on the side of my yeah, bike. Yeah. And would kind of, like, dangle in the wind. Like, that was probably doing something not great to it. That's, that's wear and tear, man. That's where, like, that, that kind of figure comes from, and it's, like, kind of... You know, we just say like, well, you know, five years, that's probably, you're probably <laughs> done. That's where that comes from. Um, but that's part of it. Like that's, those are the myths that are in the helmet space that are just ridiculous because no one's really getting good information. And that's what, that's what gets my bonnet going, that being my bonnet. And that's what gets me riled about this issue. Cause I'm like, finally, here's a step forward in this technology. Like, like this is a helmet. Like I've seen the data, uh, a rotational helmet is better than a standard helmet. It just is. You're going to be safer. You're going to have a better outcome when you crash. You might still die. You might still have brain damage. You might still have a thing. But at least your chances are better than if you're wearing the other type. That's yeah. um, as simple as that. Uh, before we wrap up, Shane, I got one more quick one for you. you okay. Right? What, what are we doing on time? We're good on time. We're fine. You're like another two-hour show. Whatever, no yeah. Come at me. So while I was in Sweden, I got to go visit Cake. Ooh, you got to write. I, I kind of love those overly expensive, badass-looking mountain bikes on steroids. So, <laughs> two thoughts on this. So, for those who don't know, Cake is an electric motorcycle that kind of sits. We've we've talked about this segment before. It kind of sits between a dirt bike and a mountain bike, right? Something in between, yeah, like an electric moped, kind Console. of. Yeah, but I mean, it's badass. They're they're pretty. They're tough. So they're so it's it's super cool. It's it's really fun to ride. It weighs like 180 pounds yeah. or whatever. I, I, I friend pick Don it up, that works with them said like 150, 180, depends it, on which it, one you get. It's heavy, but you can do it. You could lift it up if you had to. Yep. Um it's it looks like a small dirt bike. It's like seven eighth size. It seriously looks like a mountain bike on steroids. It looks like yeah, it's kinda like I mean they built a like lot of beefier stuff. Beefier forks, beefier everything. Yeah, so Olin's made special suspension for them. 
they built their own hubs and wheels and stuff because there wasn't something quite right in the space. And then it looks like kind of like a very rudimentary kind of like dirt bike. And it's fun. It's fun to ride. Uh, I got to blast down the streets with it. I jumped a couple curbs. I got some dirty looks from police officers. <laughs> I had a really, it's a cool thing. But it's $13,000. I know. And it totally looks like something I could build in my garage. Not not me, actually, but like you look at some of these yeah. kind of like hobbyist electric guys, like with electrical engineering I mean, degrees. Just- like that's like what they would build. It's really like it just looks a little too garage build, a little yeah. too like D DIY. Like it doesn't have thirteen thousand dollar refinement. To no, it. and you for look at a, for a, there's no real styling. There's no real colors. Like the like the dash, the dash is like there is no dash. What like, dash? It's yeah, the most basic. Like it's just a couple of lights, isn't it? It's a couple of switch and a couple of lights. I think it's just a switch. I don't even think there's lights on it. Um. It's really rudimentary in that regard. So that's what kind of kills me where I'm like, man, like $13,000. What are you paying for? Aside from maybe they're trying to think about like $13,000 got you an Alta. Yeah. Which was like a A legit dirt bike. Yeah, like a serious dirt bike. That's where I think like the price is so wrong because the power is, I don't know what the motor's rated at off the top of my head, but you could do like, 40 50 on it okay and it what's the difference between this and my ulta i mean like what's honestly what am i getting more here it does weigh a lot less it's, it weighs it's, a lot less it's a smaller form factor like it'd be a little bit 100 pounds less than my ulta which is crazy because ulta already to me is so yeah, it would already it would be a little bit um more suited for like an urban environment like mm-hmm. i could see this replacing like an electric an e-bike really easily yeah but but I can buy an e-bike. I can buy a really badass e-bike for like five grand. I mean, like that's going overboard. That's the only thing that I don't agree with with this cake thing. I I saw them at the the one show last February, and I just, I mean they're I kind of like the way they look because they kind of have that tough look. It looks like I can beat the crap out of it. And then as soon as yeah. he told me the price, I was like, Whoa. and I I joked around. I was like, oh man, it's got Olin's on it. What is it like eight grand? And he's like, mm, more like thirteen. It's almost fourteen. It's thirteen eight. No, it's for, no, they're saying fourteen thousand now, huh? For the street legal version. Are we thinking the hiked up price is to be able to fund future projects? I don't know what the. I mean, I think part of the price is that it's made in Sweden. There's a lot of things made in Sweden, but they're not. But it's one of those things. Like a lot of things that are made in Sweden are made in Sweden. Like this is legit. Like there's Swedish Volvos startup. are cheaper than Mercedes, and they're made in Sweden. Like they're just like I think it's just like the cost of production there has just got to be insane. Well, IKEA furniture is way less money than your furniture is made in Sweden. Come on, man. Um, but your IKEA furniture isn't made in Sweden. It's made. That's fair. They've got like factories all over the world. It's probably mine's probably not made. And their whole thing is like automation. So that's the thing. Like really, gets me. The price is so off. It's so off. Did they talk to you about that at all? Did they explain yeah. themselves? And they were saying like, well, you know, if you look at a well kitted out downhill bike or like a well kitted out downhill e-bike you're going to start getting into this price range i'm like yeah okay that's fair but i can get into a dirt bike for like five g's yeah or i can get a new well i can get a new dirt bike for let's say nine this is the only problem with the current electric motorcycle field they're all expensive there's nothing, I mean, the new, like we were talking about the the Alta, I'm sorry, not the Alta, the the 
zero SRF, right? Yes. They're trying to make this really cool Street Fighter thing, but it's got lackluster peripheries on there, and they're still starting at 19 and going up to like $24,000 essentially on one of these things. The new upcoming Harley um, project, you know, Lightning or whatever it's called, that's going to be a $30,000 bike, the Livewire. Yeah. Um, and it sounds like other people are working on stuff. Altas were considered expensive because if you wanted to get on a 300cc dirt bike, you're going to spend maybe ten, eleven thousand at the most. Well, in the Altas, you were looking at thirteen thousand dollars. So closer to fifteen, really. Yeah, fifteen, really. You're right. So that's that's the one downfall on this thing. Anytime I talk to any consumers out there when they're talking about buying a dirt bike, the first thing that they say is, uh, "But it costs a lot of money, and the technology is not." where I need it to be, where I can actually go ride this thing anywhere. It's it's all for urban purposes or for riding motocross where it's sh- quick, short bursts of riding, not anything like if you wanted to ride from Portland to the coast, that's a 90 plus mile ride. What are you riding out there? Which one of these electric bikes is going to get you there? The non-road legal one is 13,000. That's what I rode. And it's literally just a couple dials. It's tough. Like it is over, like all the electrics are overpriced. You're absolutely right. And we saw that when Alta slash their prices to make them in line with right. gas bikes sales went up like immediately like dealerships started running out of bikes mm-hmm. you're like okay so it's not the technology it's not the platform there isn't like a resistance to electric there's just a resistance to paying you know 50 percent more yeah what's your return they, on investment on this money you're spending on this yeah, our issue isn't early adopters or belief in technology or i only want to smell two stroke you know right. whatever <laughs> it's literally just voting with your dollars yeah. and like that's the same thing where i have this with this with this the cake where i'm just not gonna buy a fourteen thousand dollar you know moped let's call it a moped because it's just it just doesn't work for me like i'm gonna buy an electric product, especially when like there's no there's no product loss like i like the way it looks because it's kind of like a funky thing but I don't lust ever. Right. It, I like it because it's so utilitarian in its approach, which hopefully means it's, it's very robust. Swedish in design. I, I do. <laughs> I don't think it's Swedish though. I mean, so? it's Swedish in the sense that it's very minimalist. But like, I mean, I guess it is pretty boxy. But I just sit there like, if I let's put it this way, if I have to give zero a hard time for like its square battery right. thing that like looks hideous, like uh-huh. I got to give the same issue to Cake because oh, you just sit there and it just yeah. looks like a suitcase was wedged in there. I mean, if you look at a profile shot of it, just from a design uh, standpoint, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's two circles, a triangle, and a square kind of mashed up on top of each it other. It doesn't flow. No. Like that's the thing. Like an industrial designer needs to come along and massage that into something that is like an iPhone where I sit there like, yeah, I can go get a Samsung for half the price, but put the, t- put the two together and you can see where like the quality and the fit and finish and the design, like people lusted after iPhones, people lust after op- Apple products because of the industrial design that went into it. And you can say that about Bang & Olufsen's a great example of that decent speaker, but you're buying it because of like the way it was crafted and like the mm-hmm. very unique shapes that they were creating might not be, might not sound the best, but it looks very interesting. Right. There's a lot of brands out there like that. And that's like what they're missing out on. Like, I have no product loss for this. I don't look at that and be like, damn, I really want that in my garage. I just go, damn, I really want something like that in my garage. Yeah. I want something like that for like half the price. I was going to say, if this was like a $8,000 purchase, it'd probably make a little more sense. Well, I guess even like, then it seems expensive to me because it is still ultimately a, a, I don't know, a downhill e bike on steroids. Yeah. 
I don't know. I guess if you're looking at it from like a bicycle point of view, it makes kind of a bit of sense. If you're looking at it from a motorcycle view, it doesn't make sense. And that's the hard part. Like the team's really cool. They're doing something interesting. I like where their heads are at and I like the the operation that they've got going on. But like in terms of product, I'm just not there. Yeah. Like I want to see what you got next. Like, I, I, I'm really I, interested to see what you got next. But what you got right now, it's not me. Yeah, I do wish they had some sort of like um, a program where it's like they're saying that we know it's expensive. We know it's ridiculous right now, but this is to help us fund the next project. And the next project is going to be an affordable concept of this thing where everybody can buy one. And we want to fill up the roads of, uh, I don't know, Amsterdam with these things. You're going to see a ton of them out there. You know, you know, we, we talked a show or two ago about having the right brands be on your bike. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, if you're going to pay the price, yeah, I want to have, if I'm paying a premium, like we're talking about the BMW S1000 double R M edition or M. Yes. We talked about it too with the zero. Yeah. And like on a motorcycle, like, like especially with the S1000 double R, I want to see Olin suspension. Yep. I want to see Brembo brakes. Yep. I want to see marches. Well, the wheels don't really have an issue with, um, but I want to have like the right, I want to see the right spec stuff. Cause I know there's a little bit of brand to brand, uh, value there. Um, it's funny cause that's kind of what MIPS is trying to create, but that's a whole nother, <laughs> that's a whole nother business case. Um, but I know cause it's going to do a certain thing, especially when I get on the bike and I'm like, well, suspension feels pretty soft. It doesn't feel set up right. I know the brakes are kind of mushy. I don't get a lot of power from them. Well, I wonder if you guys have gotten the right brand on there, if that would have been different uh. or not. <laughs> the thing that's interesting with kick is I almost go the other way with it. I'm like, you know what? My little like shit kicker bike that I'm going to hop curbs. Does on, it need Owens on it? Like, do I need to spend old? Like, did that add like two, three thousand dollars to the price tag? Because if it did, I would gladly go without. Because I don't care about the bike that I'm going to go like across town on. Yeah. I don't care if that has no. Olin suspension. And yeah, no one's going to look at their Toyota Prius and expect it to have Brembos on it. But yeah. if you buy a Ferrari, it's fucking better. Yeah, exactly. Exactly <laughs> the point there. So I'm kind of curious about that. I don't know. I, don't, I mean, there could be a whole like Swedish hookup thing and it's just just works out that way but um it's a very interesting product i'll be curious to see where it goes it's interesting talking to them i actually have a pretty good interview with uh, uh the founder uh for the motor podcast that'll be coming out nice soon. cool so excited we'll to hear that. that out um and with that sir i think we got a show done nice just under two hours got some good weather ahead of us gonna go do some writing uh, also i want to bring this up one more time before we uh, get off the air here uh, the Goldwing podcast is getting closer and closer to being done. Yes. I believe all we're waiting for is a set of helmets to we come some, in. We need some helmets. We need to figure out microphones, but that's way easier than the helmets. But we've got a we've got a pretty good plan for that. We've got uh, decent weather out of us. We've got some good weather coming up. I've got another round uh, here at Omer this coming weekend. We're going to run the chicane. Yep. So that'll be interesting. Hopefully the bike will be ready to go for that. And um, I got the Indian back in my garage, so we're gonna give that another. Yeah, that's back. Another go around and see if the throttle's any better. Uh, my Street Fighter's back in my garage. Your too, Street Fighter's so. totally back. Uh, we got some track days coming up, sir. There's a nighttime track day coming up. That's gonna be really interesting. That's super. I'm I'm super excited about that. Yeah, we're we're we're. We we'll call it along. nighttime, but here in the Pacific Northwest, this time of year, the sun sets at like 9 p.m. It does set at nine. So it's legitimately <laughs> a nine. Uh, there was some talk about the sun's basically going to be setting into turn one. Right. So that'll be interesting. I don't know about that. Bring your tinted helmet, I guess. I'm exp yeah. Tinted Truthfully, visor. 
I'm really curious to see how like the dew point goes because it gets a little humid out here sometimes. It does. In fact, I meant to look at the weather thing to see when our dew point uh, reaches its zenith. Dew point. Because I think, truthfully, I think we're going to see some crashes as the track cools down. I think that's I think that's going to be catching people out because that dun, happens dun. in guitar a lot for uh-huh. MGP. The dew comes along and they get into trouble. And guitar's dry. Yeah, oh, desert, so dry. The deserts. The dessert. So, interesting stuff coming up. We should have some uh, more news for you yeah. uh, in about a week or so. Sweet. I'm going to look to get some new tires for my big bike. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what I'm getting. You get, getting rid of those tractor tires? They're done. I've I've gotten 10,000 miles out of them, and they're thin. Good riddance. I think, listen, they did the job really well for 10,000 miles. What? Like, I can't. I really want you to try the Bridgestone. You were telling me that last time, so I think yeah. we need to talk about that. Yeah. Bridgestone, A- what you got for me? X 41s or whatever they're called. I need something that can grab on the loose, rocky hobbies. crap. My giant 600-pound motorcycle. Yeah. And also last more than 2,000 miles. You know. Yeah. The basic. I, I've been really curious to see how those tires are since those got announced. Uh, they got announced like late last year. Yeah. I'll try those. Okay. I'm never afraid to try some tires. Unless they're Shinkos. I don't know what it is. I haven't had great luck with Shinkos. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. And on that note. Anything else? That's it. No? Well, you know how it is. Safety third. Good talk. We'll see Bye. you out there. Oh my god. All right. This is me with chocolate in my mouth. Do you still have chocolate shake? Yeah, man. I have a. Oh, look at according you. to their mouth, I have at least oh, seven ounces. You have left. At least, you have at least uh, 17 ounces. <laughs> Paper straw, though. Uh, I'm, all right. I'm, I'm into that. Really? Yeah. Paper straws just. T- I don't like straws to begin with. I don't either, but if you're going to straw, I'd have a paper straw. I can go away. Yeah, I'm, I'm all for the no plastic straw yeah. thing. I just Or a metal straw. A metal straw is where it's at. Personal straw. Bring your own straw. I like it. BYOS. BYOS.